It's your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand, but it could just as easily be your Wednesday daily delivery, your Tuesday daily delivery, any day, any time. Um, the Timberwolves, we're going to get to them in a little bit. We've talked about them a lot this week, and none of the problems seem to be getting any better. So we're going to get to them in a little bit again um, because they warrant it. They lost 129-117 to Phoenix at Target Center on uh, on Wednesday night, another game where the home crowd was booing them, another game where they got down by more than 20 points. It was 25 probably at a certain point in that game, something like that, um, before making the score a little bit more respectable toward the end. But the play itself was not respectable, and we need to, need to address that here in a minute. Um, Phil Miller. Twins beat writer from the Star Tribune will join me here also a little later on in the show. Major League Baseball free agency begins today, um, and Twins have a lot of decisions to make this year. They've already made some, of course, with some of the club options they've decided on earlier this week, but the big one still waiting on whether they attempt to sign and are able to sign Carlos Correa, shortstop who was here last year and had a very good season for the Twins, so we'll see what they're able to do there, and if they indeed pursue Carlos Correa in in free agency. So uh, Phil and I will get into that as well as plenty of other things. we got to talk Wild and the biggest difference between the Wild and the Timberwolves this season, and particularly on Wednesday night. First, though, like I said, we got to talk Timberwolves. Uh, you might be getting tired of it. Um, maybe they don't warrant it from a record standpoint, just 5-7 and seven now. Um, and sometimes it's easier to talk about a team when there is some conflict, when there is some drama. Um, and this team certainly seems to have a lot of conflict right now. The latest loss, a lot of things done poorly. I thought they started out okay in, in this game. I was watching uh, on TV in this case. I thought they were okay. The energy was okay at the beginning. I thought they were moving the ball decently. And then it just all fell apart again in in just kind of a comedy of, of errors, a comedy of lack of execution and cohesion. And here's the problem. Here's the real problem right now, in addition to the losses mounting. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm a parent. Um, my, wife, my wife and I have three kids. They're all fairly young, all eight or under. And a big part of parenthood is understanding that your kids are going to, you know, make mistakes. That they are going to um, you know, I think fail is the wrong word. Fail is, is such a hard word to, to use in a case like that. But they're, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to try something, and it's not going to go their way. And you're going you're gonna to encourage them to keep trying it, encourage them to get better. And all you can hope for as a, as a parent is that they learn lessons along the way, that they learn from what they've tried and what hasn't worked. They learn from direction you give them in terms of, hey, you did this, uh, maybe don't do that again uh, because it was either dangerous to yourself, um, it, 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 you know, it was, you didn't think about it, you didn't think it all the way through and this was the consequence of it, things like that. All you can hope for as they're learning, as they're getting older, is that they, they hopefully learn and don't repeat, at least not over and over and over again, don't repeat the same mistakes and or bad behaviors that they're doing, right? That, that's how you become a better person. That's how you be. That's how you grow into a confident, well-rounded adult. You don't harp on these mistakes, but you correct them along the way, or you at least encourage them along the way. You you let them have the space to 
figure out what you know what happened, what might what what they might do differently along the way in order to in order to have a different outcome next time. Let them kind of figure it out and give them some guidance along the way. I don't feel like that's happening at all with the Timberwolves. They're doing the same things over and over this season and not seemingly learning from them. And there's kind of the same mistakes they would make even last season when they would go flat in that they're not, you know, they're not moving the ball well usually. They're not playing cohesively. They're not playing with enough energy. But it's been particularly glaring this year. I feel like they really smoothed it out last season, whereas most games you watched it, and they were at least an entertaining, smooth team to watch. Sometimes they didn't make shots. Sometimes the other team got hot. Sometimes the other team was just better. You live with that. Those are the consequences of you know, a, com- a competition where there's a winner and a loser. The Timberwolves this year are beating themselves more often than not. They're playing without energy. They're playing without any kind of mental focus. I mean, yesterday's game, they played an entire possession, five on four, because D'Angelo Russell didn't realize who he was supposed to be in the game for. They gave a three-pointer on that possession. And yeah, you can say, well, they ended up losing by 12. Does it really matter? It does matter. It matters that they were playing that way. It matters that they didn't even realize, you know, after the game that they needed to address it in a certain way. Chris Finch is like, I have no idea what happened. D'Angelo Russell saying, you know, I know what happened, but that's about all I'm going to say about it. Um, just the repeated mistakes, the repeated lack of energy, that is that is a real concern to me right now because that's not always easy to pull yourself out of, and that doesn't feel like they're learning at all. And that's where I think the onus is on Chris Finch, the head coach. I don't think he's done a very good job this season. I think maybe he's trying to give them a lot of opportunity to grow from their own mistakes, which I think can be a smart tactic, but I don't think he's giving them enough guidance along the way. I think he's a very a quieter, mild-mannered, kind of thinking the game kind of coach. I think they need something more from him right now to push a few more buttons to get a little bit more, um, to get them into a different headspace because I don't think they're in the right spot right now, and I think some of that needs to come from Chris Finch. Let's hear from Chris Finch, by the way, after that game on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, you got to resist the urge to make, like, a one-pass shot and a one, you know, just a home run type play. I think there's a lot of that. Even when we tightened the game up today, um, you know, we took two really quick shots that probably, uh, you know, could have driven or, or or moved it a little bit. Um, but that's it. We, we When the game starts slipping away, we, we want it all back in one play. Every team has its own personality. Every team takes a while to find its own uh, chemistry and its own identity as a result. So, um you know, what What we did last year doesn't really matter right now. So, again, let's see when and if this changes. Anthony Edwards saying Memphis is going to draw the Wolves' best game out of them finally when they play them next, that going back to last year's intense playoff series. We'll see. They keep saying a lot of the right things, and then they go out and do the wrong things over and over again, and that is the sign of a bad team that just doesn't get it right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring in Phil Miller and talk a little bit of Twins. It is the early middle part of November. The World Series has been over for a few days now, and that means free agency begins 
Thursday. Um, no person I'd rather to talk about that with than Phil, of course, covers the Twins for the Star Tribune, has been now at 36 consecutive World Series uh, that have been played. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Phil, uh, welcome. Uh, did you enjoy this year's uh, games that you were able to go to? I did. I uh, went to the three in Houston, unfortunately missed the uh, the no-hitter in Philadelphia, but uh, I thought it was uh, one of the more compelling uh, World Series of uh, recent years, and uh, one that uh, I would think um, the Twins fans who uh, are scarred by their playoff experiences in the last decade and a half uh, might not want to hear it, but probably gives the Twins a little hope, too. Yeah, I was going to say, we, maybe we can start there just because the Phillies, right, they won 87 games during the regular season. They were 14 games behind two different teams in their division, right? The Atlanta and yep. the Mets both won 101 games. And then they get hot in the playoffs and make it all the way to the World Series and, in fact, had a 2-1 series lead before Houston you know, kind of recharged and, and came back and won that series. Um, you and I were talking before we started recording that, you know, these extra rounds, these extra, like, spots in the playoffs do give you more possibilities of just getting in and then anything can happen. That said, it's also a little bit of a aiming that aiming for that mark is also, you're probably not going to have a team like the Phillies do this on a year in and year out basis. You might, you might see a team like this, get it, get this far once every three or four years. So, you know, it's kind of a, a mixed bag in terms of how you want to go about it, but you're right in terms of just getting in and having a chance, there is a better chance now, I would say. Well, Phillies uh, would not have made the playoffs in any year uh, before now, other than the pandemic year, uh, that, that uh, uh, they take six teams in each league now. Yeah, the Phillies finished 14 games out in the NL East. The Twins finished 14 games out in the AL Central. Um, Phillies were still, uh, what, nine or ten, nine games better than the Twins, but it uh, it just shows if you're good enough to get to the tournament and it doesn't take as much as it used to, uh, um Baseball is not a, uh, a sport where uh, where the best team always wins. Uh, to put it bluntly, uh, you know, you know, the Phillies led uh, uh, had a lead at home, um, could have ended the series there, but uh, the Astros pulled it out. But um, yeah, it, you know, people in Philadelphia didn't seem to mind that it was uh, uh, that there was going to be any asterisk beside it because there wouldn't be. That's how the tournament is these days. So. You know, the Twins team that was in first place for uh, four months uh, during the regular season was in position to uh, get hot and make the same kind of run. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, I, I would I would just say in the very first season of the new playoff structure, we got an example of how it has lowered the bar towards uh, entry and uh, maybe lightning striking. Hard, good... hard, hard for hard for a team that hasn't won a playoff game since 2004 to uh, uh, be taken seriously. But uh, if they, you know, if they do turn it around, uh, the the road is there for them. Well, and the process of that begins now, if not sooner. And there was some news already this week with um, some options picked up, not picked up. Maybe we can start there. They they pick mm-hmm. up the option on Sonny Gray. They do the buyouts with Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy, and Miguel Sano. And I would characterize all four of those as the expected decisions. Sonny Gray, even though he had to go on the injured list a couple times this year, was a very effective pitcher for them. Had a very low ERA, a guy you want back in your rotation, especially at a reasonable cost. And the other three guys just underperformed 
expectations or there are cheaper options. But how do you, as you kind of think about those four moves, what what were your takeaways from those? Well, Sonny Gray had a sneaky good year. I don't think people realized uh, how uh, effective he was because so much of the um, attention was paid to uh, how he would get pulled in the fifth inning, uh, sixth inning. He it was frustrating him a little bit that the that the Twins uh, didn't trust him a third time through most of the time. So, uh, but when you step back, his uh, ERA was the lowest by any. Uh, regular starting pitcher who made 20 or more starts since Johan uh, Santana was here. And uh, that's a pretty good name to invoke. Yeah. Miguel Sano, uh, the, the other two pitchers, uh, you know, were just one year tryouts. They uh, trying to resurrect their, their careers and neither really did. Uh, they, they did a good job of getting through the season, but uh, it was, it was clear that, um, their careers are mostly behind them. Miguel Sano is an interesting one um, just because uh, oh, about three years ago, uh, after uh, Sano had agreed to uh, his three-year $30 million contract, we were all thinking, wow, that's quite a commitment to a guy that's had some controversy and, and uh, you know, has trouble uh, owning the strike zone. And I met a scout in, uh, I think it was in a lunchroom in spring training, a scout I knew who said he thought it was genius. He thought that uh, we were coming off the 2019 season when home runs appeared to be uh, exploding in baseball. The Twins set the record for the most by uh, one team in one year. And he said that the chance is not zero, that uh, in fact, he said it was about 50-50, that Miguel Sano would become kind of a player who would, maybe almost by accident hit one or two home runs every week that that's the kind of contact he makes. And, uh, you know, he strikes out, uh, an awful lot of the time when he doesn't make a contract, uh, contact, but, uh, he, he said that this is a guy, if, if home runs keep, uh, keep going up and he can, uh, keep providing them, this is a guy that the twins have locked in for an average of 10 million a year. And, there would be teams out there that would pay him double and uh, maybe even uh, uh, more than that. Uh, he thought it was uh, a brilliant move. And uh, three years later, eh, it wasn't really uh, so much a brilliant move, but it was a, a, a worthwhile gamble that uh, lost in the 1,050 whatever strikeouts Miguel had. Uh, um, he was uh, he was an exciting player, an interesting prospect and a risk worth taking. Well, what was what was really interesting was by the end, you know, because he struggled to a large degree last year, when, when he went out of the lineup this year, you almost forgot about him, even mm-hmm. though, you know, they really could have used a good or at least a, a Miguel Sano average type of season where he did hit, you know, 25 or 30 home runs and stayed healthy, even with all the strikeouts this year. And to not even be able to do that this year, did make this a foregone conclusion, but this has to feel kind of like the end of an era, right? Because you, you t- we, we talk about Sano and Buxton in tandem so much, especially, you know, 2015 moving forward. You know, Sano had such a good rookie year, helping them almost make the wild card in 2015, you know, progressing up and down, but, you know, still having a lot of that, a lot of that potential. And then that good season in 2019 to cut ties with him, to still have Buxton in the mix, but to have his, you know, injury uncertainty kind of put, 
put anything you know about him a little bit into the question mark category. Just doesn't feel like that era ever materialized in a way that they could have that they could have wanted. No, it it it, it and I think the strikeouts uh, and the uh, the frustration about uh, what could he play defense? Was he just going to be a designated hitter? Uh, that kind of overshadowed things. You know, he hit thirty home runs last year. Yeah. Uh, how how much how much could the Twins have used thirty home runs this year? Yeah. Uh, it, it it was a it was a big loss. And you're right. Uh, it, it's the first time he's had a long term injury where he was he was out. Uh, he missed all of May, June, and almost all of July uh, before trying to come back. And um, it became clear that uh, it became clear to him, uh, I think, that uh, um, this was his last season, that the Twins were never going to pony up $14 million next year. And uh, um, that was difficult for him. I, I, I think the frustration about uh, strikeouts, plate discipline uh, got to him uh, quite a bit, too. He... Uh, he talked about, uh, you know, it, it's my big project. I'm working on it. I'm working with the hitting coaches in spring training, and uh, and it just never happened uh, for him. Uh, you, you're right. Uh, now it's up to Buxton. To, you know, it was it was people forget it was Barreos, uh, Buxton, and uh, Sano yeah. um, in the space of, uh, of about a hundred games there that, that joined the team and looked like the the next wave of, uh, of twins foundations. And, uh, you're right. They're left with, uh, Buxton and he only played 80 games. Yeah. Um, let's, let's move on to one of the biggest, if not the biggest offseason question, one that they should have a answer to, I think reasonably soon you get the Carlos Correa opts out of his deal. That was not unexpected, but he's a free agent now. And the twins will be at least in in the mix for him. Um, they have a decision to make, I'd imagine, in terms of how far they want to go in that pursuit. And Correa has a decision to make in terms of does he see this as a long-term fit? How, how As you think about the, the possibility of, of Correa signing a long, lucrative contract here versus somewhere else, what, where, where do you think we stand right now? I think the notion of if Carlos Correa had spent the year in Cleveland or Detroit, uh, uh, anywhere, and was a free agent, uh, we would think the notion that the Twins might have a shot at him uh, pretty ludicrous. This is this is yeah. just not what they do, and uh, um, so it, it, it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, he was here because his agent called the Twins and said, "Would you take him for a year? Uh, I know you. We know you have an opening," uh, and they did, and. Uh, so they've never before had uh, such an in with a uh, prominent free agent. I don't think with Scott Boros that makes much difference. I think uh, I think Carlos and uh, Boros are going to take the uh, the highest uh, offer, and uh, but it it does give the Twins some insight into what it's like having a player like that, having uh, uh, entry like that on your uh, on your payroll. Um, I, you know, they they were able to uh, field a team. Uh, they won the challenge for the division title. Um, they uh, they were able to work their payroll around uh, having a thirty five million dollar player on the roster. You know, one of the top ten highest paid players in the league. Um, I, it, it, I wonder what if they learned from that that they do have room for a player like that and. To be honest, Carlos Correa was the ideal player 
uh, for that, playing a position that they needed. Um, that's one lesson that they could take. Um, I think that they honestly will make a run at keeping him, but I think it will still come down to the bottom line, and the Twins have always been outbid for players like that. Well, it is a crowded shortstop market too. It's a, it's a strangely a lot of you know a lot of pretty good shortstops hitting the market at the same time. They should all command pretty big numbers. But I, the, the, you know, the, I guess the question, two questions there is where does where does Correa fit into that pecking order? Do you think? And if the Twins don't sign him, then what do they what do they go and spend money on? Because if they've got now the thirty five million dollars coming off the books, if they don't sign him, they've they've definitely got. If they're thinking about signing him now, they've definitely got money to spend on something else. At least I would think they do, and uh, that is that might be the uh, the thing that uh, you know financial flexibility is always so important to the Twins, and uh, that might be uh, something that they value too much. You know, I, I don't know how you know recent the memory is of Josh Donaldson. They uh, they they laid out what could have been a hundred million dollars for Josh Donaldson and almost immediately regretted it. Uh, you know, the pandemic year messed everything up, but uh, they're, uh, you know, the, the fact that they uh, um, were so quick to cut ties uh, with Josh Donaldson after two years shows me that uh, that's another lesson that they may have learned that, uh, that they don't like um, being locked in uh, to, uh, you know, having that much devoted to one player. They do have other needs. Uh, and, and, you know, you mentioned that there are four or five good shortstops on the market, but that's also four or five teams. And in, in this case, it's the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Braves, teams with money uh, that need shortstops. So I think the market is going to be uh, pretty strong for them. I'm sure Carlos Correa will uh, receive some pretty representative offers. Um, the Twins have other needs. Uh, starting pitching, they like their young starters. Uh, but, um, you know, as this year showed, you can never have enough depth. And I don't think they have nearly enough top of the rotation uh, depth. Um, uh, you know, they've got Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan. And after that, some question marks. And uh, um, you never know what you're going to get outing to outing. They need to shore that up. Uh, another thing that the World Series showed is the value of a strong bullpen. I mean, the Astros won that World Series on the basis of their bullpen, uh, largely, uh, um, almost uh, un, uh, almost um, completely uh, shut out through the World Series. Uh, the Twins, uh, you know, need to shore that up. They have one, maybe one and a half uh, really strong uh, relievers that they can count on in Duran, and we'll see about Lopez. Uh, Maybe Griffin Jacks, but this, you know they don't have uh, um, sort of depth that uh, that especially a team that uses its bullpen the way they do uh, needs. Um, so they they do have other projects to uh, to get. They can free up some more money, uh, maybe to afford Correa by uh, letting uh, Gio Urshela go by uh, um, by maybe uh, uh, trading Max Kepler, which would also uh, kind of clear some of the log jam that they anticipate having in the outfield. Um, there is a need for uh, some spending. They do have the money to spend. Uh, now it's a matter of uh, pulling off uh, a trade or a uh, free agent signing that, uh, that 
has a little more productivity than uh, some of the ones they've they've uh, made lately. Uh, more of the sunny gray type of trade, um, and uh, and you know less of the Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy signings. Well, you you bring up a couple of good points. I want to get to a few more things here before we're done. I mean, one. The first big move they made this offseason was change with their head athletic trainer. They didn't do much else um, on on their field staff that I could really notice. But how much do you buy into the idea that just by better health, reasonable health, how much where does that position them? If you just if you didn't change the roster hardly at all, how where do you think they'd be positioned if they just had reasonable health next year? They were in first place until September. Now it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's probably the uh, weakest division in baseball. Uh, but uh, they're, you know, when Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton uh, were healthy, when uh, Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan were, uh, were at their best, uh, you know, they went on uh, a pretty good run and looked like they were uh, positioned for the postseason. I'll tell you, when it sure struck me how that changed, uh, they went to Cleveland down uh, four games with five to play in Cleveland. Uh, three weeks left in the season, the biggest series of the year. This is when they have to turn it on. I went in the clubhouse before the first game and looked at the at the lineup, and I thought, what are we even doing here? You know, right. they had uh, Celestino and Contreras and Jake Cave in the outfield. They had... Nick Gordon batting cleanup, Ursula batting third, you know, all things necessary by, uh, by injury. They had, uh, um, you know, they used two rookie pitchers, uh, that weekend. Uh, it was, it was a team, uh, it team in September was not the team that played the whole year. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's frustrating. I sure understand the frustration of twins fans at how, how completely they collapsed down the stretch, but, it's also true that that wasn't uh, really their team. Um, they changed trainers, which uh, is an interesting, uh, interesting move. I, I, I guess that's holding him responsible for some of, um, I think, probably more the um, the speed with which players came back. Uh, you know, I, I think there were example after example after example of guys that were day to day and uh, and were gone for two weeks, three weeks, a month. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, it sounds terrible, but they just need better luck with injuries. I don't know, uh, how you, uh, how you can, uh, lock that in. Um, I mean, obviously you can't, uh, it was a team with young players on the rise. Uh, I think twins fans were pretty happy with it, uh, about mid season about the all-star break. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, the core of that team is still here, except for the shortstop. Yeah, and that's a big one. I mean, if they don't resign him, that leaves a pretty big hole. He was number one on the team in war, kind of depending on which site you go by, you know, four mm-hmm. wins, five wins. He was a, he was a very good player for him uh, defensively and offensively for sure. And it took over a certain amount of clubhouse leadership from what I could see too. So that's a, that's a pretty big hole if that does indeed become a hole. But like we said, also would be, money to spend on something else, perhaps pitching a uh, final thought for you, Phil, <clears throat> like I said, with spring, with the not spring training yet, uh, with a free agency <laughs> beginning, uh, beginning now, uh, you know, what do you think their first, they, they do tend to kind of tend to linger back sometimes and let the market come to them. 
how do you think they play it this year? And and if you were, you know, Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, like who would your not necessarily a player, but what what kind of phone calls would you be making first? Where where would you be looking first to try to get better with this team? Uh, Carlos Rodon, uh, the someone that I know very well uh, from the White Sox uh, and the Giants, uh, um, the perhaps the best and perhaps the most. Um, uh, well, I don't think he's going to be cost prohibitive and uh, probably the best guy for your money. He knows the division. Uh, they know him very well. I uh, think he would be uh, comfortable here. I think he is uh, uh, someone that they uh, should call on. Um, to me, that's the, that, that's the pretty obvious standout on the list. They will probably have to move quickly on them. Um, the, uh, their tendency to wait until January, even February to sign free agents is, uh, is intentional. You know, they, they, uh, they say, uh, you know, there are bargains to be had. Um, if you wait, uh, you know, the question is, uh, you know, if the bargains are of the Chris Archer variety, uh, is that, uh, you know, is that worth waiting for? Um, anyway, I, I, you know, I think the, some of the pitching will get snapped up uh, pretty quick. Uh, but uh, other than that, I, I think they're going to wait and see how the shortstop market uh, comes together. And uh, I suspect that they are going to try to find a way to get through three, three months, four months, and hope that Royce Lewis comes back healthy. Whether or not he's still a shortstop, I think, is an open question. But the Twins seem awfully confident uh, that, that – he can resume uh, playing shortstop when he returns. Uh, so there are some second tier uh, Elvis Andrus types um, that they make uh, wait on and wind up with. Well, it'll be a new look team in a lot of ways, new jerseys, new uniforms coming out pretty soon right. as well. So uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um, Phil, always love catching up on the twins. We'll do this again soon. I'm sure when there is, a significant move in one direction or another. Until then, enjoy the offseason. Uh, enjoy the basking in the glow of your 36th consecutive World Series. And we'll see if World Series 37 is one perhaps that you will be covering for the hometown team. I don't know about that, but we'll see. Boy, it's been a long time, hasn't it? That is one thing about going to the World Series every year is uh, and being around the Twins all the time. Boy, it's been a long time since, uh, uh, since they've been uh, to the World Series. Indeed it has. Thanks, Phil. Okay. Postscript to that conversation with Phil Miller, I don't think the Twins are going to sign Carlos Correa either, and I don't even really think that they should. As good as he was for them last year, as much as he, like Phil said, is kind of the perfect player in some regards, that just doesn't seem like the kind of move that is going to that's going to help the Twins over the next five to eight years. Just knowing what payrolls are, knowing what their restrictions are, I, I'd feel differently if I thought their pitching was arriving in a certain way where you could count on some lower-cost pitching, I just don't think Carlos Correa is a $35 million player over the long haul. I think he had a good year last year. I think he's had a lot of good years in the past. I just would not want to uh, I would not want to tie myself long-term to that sort of contract for someone who has been very good, uh, but who I don't think is necessarily a difference-maker uh, as a as a alpha on a championship team. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just what I watched this year. I don't feel like that is worth it. I feel like I would rather, much rather, invest in pitching than Carlos Correa, but we'll see what ends up happening. 
Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said at the jump, the big difference between the Wild and the Timberwolves right now is that their star player, when they absolutely need it, is showing up and making sure a, a losing streak doesn't turn into a you know something more than that, something you know a, a mental drain. Wild have been shut out two games in a row. They were deep into the second period of uh, of Wednesday's game at Anaheim, still without a goal in that game, trailing one nothing. Kirill Kaprizov puts one in on the power play, ends that drought, gets another one in the third period. They beat Anaheim four to one. That is the difference right now between the Wild and the Wolves. I don't think either one of those teams is playing great right now, but their superstar. Their superstar player, Kirill Kaprizov, has 10 goals now in 13 games and is absolutely making sure that a mediocre start isn't becoming a, uh, a, a hot topic of conversation in this market. He's making sure they get wins where they need to get wins, and that is the difference right now. I don't feel like the Wolves are getting that at all from any of their best players and certainly not Carl Anthony Towns. That will do it for today. Should be lots of Vikings talk on Friday show. I want to pick Ben Gessling's brain on Kirk Cousins again, the chain-wearing 7-1 quarterback of the Vikings. It's been quite a ride this season, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting development, to say the least, in this year. Hope you enjoy that conversation. Hope you have a great rest of your Thursday. Back at it again tomorrow. 